electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the keynote by CNBC Events. I'm Tyler Matheson. On this podcast, we bring you in-depth, candid conversations with executives, experts, and thought leaders. On this episode, you'll hear a dynamic discussion about where the business of live sports is headed, featuring the decision makers at the center of it all, including ESPN chairman Jimmy Pitaro, Amazon's global head of sports Jay Marine, and LionTree CEO Aryeh Borkoff. They spoke with my colleague, CNBC senior media and tech correspondent, Julia Borston, at the Game Plan Sports Business Summit, hosted by CNBC and Boardroom on July 25th, 2023. Here's their discussion. So I feel like I would be remiss if I did not start out with ESPN, because on our own air on CNBC, Bob Iger said that he was open to some new potential options for ESPN, including potentially bringing in partners. What does this mean? What could it look like to me? Bob's been clear about the power of live sports, uh, the power of the ESPN brand, how important ESPN is to the future of the Walt Disney Company. If you look at our ratings in a world of cord cutting, um, if you look at our ratings over the past couple of years, in, in 22, we were up 14% in prime time. Uh, if you fast forward to today, uh, for 23 thus far, we're up again against very tough comps. Uh, and so as, as a part of that, we, um, we're, we're, we're very focused on continuing the momentum. Uh, and by the way, it's beyond just linear. If you look at digital and, and social and our app and .com, our, our reach is, is expanding month over month, year after year. Uh, at the same time, we are obviously very aware of what's happening in the traditional television world. Uh, and we, uh, that business model has been very good to ESPN and the Walt Disney Company. It continues to be very good to the Walt Disney Company. At the same time, Bob and I have been clear that taking our channels, our flagship channels, direct to consumer is when, it's not if. Uh, by the way, when, I, I do want to clarify something. When we do do that, it'll be in parallel with the traditional world. What I mean by that is there seems to be a perception in the industry by some that there will come this, this point in time where we just flip a switch and we move ESPN flagship channels over to an a la carte model. That's not the case. We will continue to be invested in the traditional world. Our mission is to serve the sports fan anytime, anywhere, and that includes continuing to be able to access ESPN through the traditional means. But um, that's a long way of saying that we are aware of the challenges, and so we are going to be making our, our flagship channels available direct to consumer. And yes, Julia, um, as a part of that, we are interested in partners, partners that we think can make the flagship product more compelling. And so we're looking at things like distribution, technology, marketing, and content, and 
yeah, Bob and I have had conversations. We've been having conversations. It's early, um, but we've both been very pleased by what I'll call a healthy level of interest in ESPN. As you talk about this hybrid world where you have some linear ESPN, also the option of direct-to-consumer, there's no question that bringing some of these sports that have been the glue that holds the TV bundle together, direct-to-consumer is going to change linear television. Correct. And it seems to me like this speculation in the reporting that my colleague Alex Sherman has done, he's here, I believe, that you're in talks with some of the leagues about maybe having them come in as outside partners would be kind of helpful, especially as you try to renegotiate those rights to give you the optionality of having that hybrid distribution. Are you talking to the leagues? Can't comment on who we're talking to. Um, I, will, I will emphasize the fact that we believe that there are parties out there uh, that can help us on the content side. Um, and so you can, you can draw whatever conclusions you want from that, but you know, my priority is when we do launch flagship channels directly to the consumer a la carte, that the content proposition is as compelling as it can be. I mean, that's the thing about sports, and the reason it's more valuable now than ever is not just because there are writers and actors strikes, that means that this is the, the sort of premium live content, but these rights, um, and that only come up every few years, and the next round that comes up is going to be the NBA, which we could talk about later, um, but seem like they're more valuable than anything else, which is why I think this, this hybrid option you're talking about is going to be a complex thing to navigate. Yeah, that's why I started with the power of live yeah. sports. Um, I want to go to Arye now, since you are a deal maker and you've thought a lot about what the future of media should look like. What do you think would make sense for ESPN in light of all of these <laughs> new, new digital opportunities? Well, I mean, first, I want to give a shout out to Rich and Katie. I mean, it's not, it's not easy to, to put together um, a new event in the calendar of culture, I would say, not just a conference, but to get something in that's so timely right now, that's so well attended. Like really bravo to you guys, and that we're proud to be associated with Boardroom. It's like a it's a huge moment to be here in LA, and obviously there's a lot of cross currents because there's a heaviness around uh, the content and creative industries right now, temporarily I think, um, but a lot of enthusiasm around sports and the platforms. So you're getting all of this together in one spot at the right moment in time, and. Um, it's, uh, it's, not as easy to, it's not easy to pull off. So already there's a lot of fervor and enthusiasm about drawing conclusions out of today. So, uh, so kudos to you guys um, and an honor to be here. Um, no, I think, look, the, because of that pressure, uh, I think alignment is really, really important. No one can go at it alone. Um, it seems like there's an infinite amount of dollars out there today, particularly from parts of the world like the Gulf. Uh, maybe there are in those parts of the world, but in the traditional media industries, that we grew up with, there's cash, which is really, really important to companies like Disney um, and even companies like Amazon and shareholders and so on. And then there's obviously the parts of the ecosystem that have to come together when you shift from a linear model that has been in existence for so long to a direct-to-consumer model that is very competitive, where you have media players against technology players all coming together in competition with each other that also could be partners. And the leagues um, who have been part of the cost structure of ESPN are also partners. And so I think that there's a way to bring all that together um, in a way that preserves both uh, the upside scenario, that is a great narrative arc, um, but also the cash flow model that's really, really important during these transitions. And to do that as a public company in front of shareholders is 
virtually unheard of. Very few people have done these pivots um, in the public eye. And so I, I think whether Reed Hastings did it with Netflix that were DVDs to streaming, or Amazon did it from a books company to Prime, and that now uh, ESPN's having to do it from a linear model to direct to consumer, you need to do it with partnerships. And it used to be M&A is the solution, but given regulatory environments, that can't be the only solution. Partnerships uh, are the new M&A, um, and you have to work together to do it together, whether it's leagues or private equity or, um, or rights holders. Uh, I think people have to come together and try to make this happen together. Otherwise, there's going to be too much pressure. A notable shift for URA, the consummate deal maker to be focusing now on alliances instead. We are, we are, we play the long game. <laughs> I want to go next to Jay because the deal that you did with the NFL, um, and now we're going to the second second year with Thursday Night Football on Amazon, is in many ways the quintessential example or, or really notable first example of what happens when major sports go direct to consumer on the platform. How did you feel about the first year of ratings and what are your expectations for this year? Yeah, thanks. Um, first of all, we're extremely excited about the first year of um, Thursday Night Football. You know, it was really the first new broadcaster the NFL has had in over 20 years. Um, and the bar was so high because of great companies like ESPN, NBC Sports. So that bar is so high. So I'm most proud of the production quality we put on air. Um, secondly, the streaming quality also was second to none, and that was a big technical lift. We're fortunate, we have AWS, um, but there hasn't been an exclusive streamed live event at near that scale in the US, um, so extremely proud of that. On audience, it was a great first year. We did 11 million average audience, a younger audience than traditional NFL, um, higher income than traditional NFL. Um, and now we're looking on to grow on that on season two. Um, and the big thing coming this year is the first ever Black Friday game. So one, I think it's a testament to the NFL's trust in us to help launch a new NFL holiday um, and a new tradition. And Black Friday is perfect for us, obviously the biggest shopping day of the year. So we're putting everything against that this year and it's gonna be a great game. But the fact that ratings were down in your first year from linear TV, is that because the market is just so fragmented because people didn't know where to find their their Thursday night games? What yeah. do you attribute that to and yeah. what will it take to change that? Yeah, well, first of all, we're playing the long game. This is an 11-year deal. You know, one thing at Amazon, we're willing to invest for the long term. And Thursday night never really had a home. It's been on multiple places. So our goal is to build a franchise and a franchise that's durable and extremely valuable in year four, five, 10, and 11. So that's our focus. And again, you know, I think there was a lot of industry proje projections that we do five to seven million. So 11 million out of the gate, we feel great about. Um, and the, the good thing here is the macro trends are going in our favor. In other words, more people are gonna stream next year, all content, not just sports, than the year before. The year after that, more people. You can debate the rate of change, but you can't debate the macro trajectory. So when you see a macro trend like that, you can invest a lot because you know that investment's gonna pay off over the long term. So Jessica, what do you think about all this? From what I understand, you are right now negotiating some rights deals. I don't know how much you could tell us. Feel free to break news here on stage. Um, what do you see as the opportunity in some of these digital platforms versus linear? I think we live in an environment where both things can be true. And it's not a binary choice. Fans and consumers live in a lot of different places and expect to have their content delivered to them in multiple vehicles and venues, whether 
that is on linear TV or in direct-to-consumer. And in fact, those worlds are actually converging with smart TVs. And this notion that you can only think about direct-to-consumer on your phone in a mobile device, whereas you can sit on your couch and scan through the television and also click into an app that gives you your direct-to-consumer platform, I think is really reshaping the way we think about the future consumer. And I think about this concept of the business of live sports, and we know that live sports is one of the few pieces of content that actually drives audience and advertisers. And we feel like our league, particularly being the tip of the spear around women's sports, is really redefining the future consumer, the future fan. We are younger, more digitally savvy than any of the other sports leagues, and we live at the intersection of culture and entertainment. And all of our fans are telling us that they care about cause and they want to invest in properties that invest in us and invest in our players. And that's really giving us a unique value proposition in this marketplace. So what does that mean in terms of where your games are going to show up? I mean, if the NFL came to Amazon to reach a younger demographic, does this mean you're going to want to go to linear TV to reach an older one? If I had a crystal ball, I would say that we would probably think about our world for our future deal, which is for 2024. We're in the final year of our, of our agreement with CBS. And of course, everybody knows the Women's World Cup is on right now and is driving incredible value. Our, the first game on Friday night had more than six million, woo, whoever gave a woo, I, I agree. Our women are incredible, and it's actually not just the U.S. Women's National Team. Our league is the best league in the world, and 61 of our players are competing on a global stage right now, and two-thirds of them actually represent other countries. And Friday night, uh, between Fox and Telemundo, NBC partner, there were more than 6 million people who watched, and that was just game one of the group stage. And we know that this momentum is going to continue to build. So as we think about next year and where we need to be, we think about it in being in all places at all times. We really need high discoverability and we need to make sure that we're serving up our content in ways that our fans know how to find us. And the women's sports fan is unique as we think about direct-to-consumer because women's sports fans have had to work really hard to find their content historically. There hasn't been a role for a complacent women's sports fan and for anyone in this audience who follows women's sports, you know that you've had to work really hard to identify where to look and when to watch because it's been everywhere and nowhere all at the same time. And so we feel like we're a perfect property to be able to demonstrate the value of direct-to-consumer, and we want to think about ways to expand our audience at the top of the funnel. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at 3 a.m. The office was shocked. <laughs> That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. <laughs> I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. This episode is brought to you by AARP. Ten years from today, Lisa Schneider will trade in her office job to become the leader of a pack of dogs. As the owner of her own dog rescue, that is. A second act made possible by the reskilling courses Lisa's taking now with AARP to help make sure her income lives as long as she does. And she can finally run with the big dogs and the small dogs who just think they're big dogs. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. REA, we were talking earlier about this idea of sort of transactional viewership. Explain what you mean by that, or transactional s sports content. What do you mean by that? Yeah, I mean, I think content 
um, in general um, has to shift towards more of a transactional model. Sports is the right emblematic um, concept of that, which is event driven. I mean, you don't watch a lot of uh, sports content on replay, but you have to be there as the ultimate event to watch the sports content. But I think all content is moving that way. I think Amazon is benefiting from that. Um, but I think the entire content industry, the Barbie movie is kind of transactional content where you're buying merchandising off of the content event, right? So I think content used to be a long-term syndication model, then it played into content for the benefit of building direct-to-consumer platforms, um, and that got overly competitive, and now it's really content as the event that you can really build um, um, transactions around it, you know, a call to action. Sports is the right example of that. Certain leagues, like Jessica's league, has tremendous tailwinds around that where you have team values going up, you have rights going up, the WNBA is similar to that. Um, others are more mature that have ecosystems that have to get reworked, that's where alignment comes into play. And then the other part of that is really character driven. You need to really have identifiable characters. So it can't just be league levels or team driven uh, follow, followership. You have to be following um, players. The Formula One really benefited from that. Before Liberty bought Formula One, people followed the machine, the car. Now you have you know, Lewis Hamilton, you have obviously Verstappen, you have Norris. You really have the characters that you're following. That creates a global following. Um, you know, Mbappe is obviously the recent example of that. So that unlocks value for everybody. So I think transactional content and character-driven content is really where the trend is going. And we're seeing a real rise in these, these docu-series that are capturing that character-driven content. I know there was one about our, our women's soccer team here in Los Angeles, Angel City. We had, uh, yes, we had Netflix um, just spend $50 million on an NFL docu-series. ESPN has been doing this kind of content for a long time. Jessica, how important is it for you to build up more stars like the Megan Rapinos of the world? I mean, I think Megan Rapinoe is a perfect example of someone who really brought people into the sport. The thing about our league, because our players have had to be scrappy and have had to define their own destiny, is that they are storytellers. All of our players are storytellers. They are adept at using social media. They know how to use their platform. And it's actually, unlike many of the traditional leagues, we are catching up to them. So we have no concerns about our ability to transcend people's living rooms because we could, I think, collectively in this room, name dozens of players in our league who transcend cultural relevance. They are in every single living room, and it is the Megan Rapinos and Alex Morgans, and it's also the up-and-coming players right here in LA. We have a 17-year-old player who is competing on an international stage with Alyssa Thompson, who everybody is watching and learning from, Trinity Rodman, and these players have such interesting stories. They are dynamic, they are, um, they are diverse in their backgrounds, and they come to the table with a holistic view of their full self. And they have been taught and reinforced that they need to advocate for themselves and they are activists. And that is what resonates with the future consumer. Now, Jimmy, for you, you not only have the, the storytelling you've always been doing with your docu-series, but now you, a lot of these athletes have their own production companies. Is that an opportunity? Is that competition? Yeah, I, I want to comment on that. Um, but just to, just to um, comment on something that Jessica just said, Women's sports are clearly ascending, uh, and there are many reasons why, but one of them is just access. And one of the things we've seen is that uh, women athletes are, are much more willing to work with us in terms of providing access and being available. And so WNBA is a great example of that. 
Uh, when we talk about our priorities at ESPN, one of the things you'll hear consistently is audience expansion. How do we attract a younger audience? And what we can tell um, from our research, but also from our actions, like for example, with Sunday Night Baseball, when we have mics on players and having these two-way live conversations in games that actually matter, uh, it's been needle moving. And so we think that one of the ways we can continue to expand our audience, be more relevant to younger people, is by providing that access to them. Connected to that is storytelling. Um, you know, that's one way that you can tell an individual athlete's stories. Another way is more traditional. Uh, and yes, it's a huge priority at ESPN, the quality storytelling and, and, and programming. Uh, and what we're seeing every day is more and more players starting their own production companies. And people ask me all the time, is that a problem? Are you now in competition with Rich and KD? And I'm like, it's exactly the opposite. Like my message to Rich and Kevin is, how do we partner? Like we're totally on board with you, with you out there creating content. We want to be one of your uh, premier distribution options, and that seems to be that seems to be resonating. Jay, I want you to weigh in on both of those pieces, both yeah. the opportunity in women's sports, but also the those rising importance of storytelling off the field. Yeah, I'd love to. Um, first on women's sports, we're very bullish. We have a relationship with the WNBA today, and that viewership's growing significantly year over year. Um, but if you take the long-term view, I can't imagine a world where women professional sports is not dramatically bigger when you look out in the future, um, because I think it just hasn't had the visibility and the access. So um, again, when you see something that can grow like that, you want to get in early, and then hopefully, I believe Amazon can help grow those those sports as well. Um, so we're we're very bullish on on that, and I don't really think it's, I don't even think it's a debate really. Um, it just needs more investment. Um, and then on storytelling, absolutely, I think the, I think there's better sports docs than ever before, but there's also just more competition and more of them. So the question is, where, which ones are you going to invest in? But that's all goodness. It's more for the consumer. Um, and we deal with this on the studio side with shows and competition, so this is normal. Um, but I think what, what you said earlier, the athletes and the consumers getting to know athletes in a much deeper way than ever before, um, just drives more viewership, drives more interest. So even if a team is having a bad year, that character, that person, that that 12-year-old is connecting with, gets them still to watch. So I think it's becoming much bigger in the zeitgeist and the community, which is good for everyone. Before we open up to questions, I have to ask about the NBA rights, because that's the next big round of rights coming up. What do you think? You want them? <laughs> <laughs> that partnership is incredibly important to ESPN. It's incredibly important to the Walt Disney Company. Uh, we, have, we have games on ABC. We have finals on, on ABC. Uh, I don't think the relationship has ever been better between the NBA and, and Disney and, and ESPN. As we, as we look out at what we could potentially do here, one of the things we're focused on is, is production innovation. Like we can't, you're watching an NBA game, it can't feel like it's 1997. Like we have to continue to, to push here and, and, and identify new alternative broadcasts, new camera angles, new ways to present these games digitally within our app. That, that's the priority right now. But yes, we love this relationship and it's important to us. Jay? 
Uh, yes. Um, <laughs> no, I think we already have a relationship with the NBA. We broadcast their games in Brazil today. First of all, fantastic league, global, young. They've done just an absolute fantastic job. Um, we've been very public. We're, we'd be very interested and would love the opportunity to uh, um, grow our partnership with them. Um, and with all of these things, you know, the economics do matter, of course. Um, you know, we traditionally with sports rights, we'll be aggressive but rational. And I think that's, at least for us, that's the right approach. Um, but listen, every sports broadcaster would like to be in partnership with the NBA. Who do you think should, should pay the uh, most I was for that? Listening to, I mean, Adam hates hearing uh, that people are gonna be rational when it comes You're to You're supposed to say ESPN yeah, exactly. and Amazon. <laughs> no, I think, I think ultimately, I mean, the NBA, unlike the NFL, has preserved the option of going direct to consumer eventually. The NFL is a, is a optimized wholesaler of content, um, but not touching the consumer directly. The NBA, I think, has this beautiful uh, position where A, it's a global brand, and B, um, they respect both the linear uh, partners as well as the digital partners, and may ultimately want to be a direct consumer brand themselves. And so I think when they actually end up doing the renewals, you'll see a package where they preserve all that optionality while they get the renewals uh, at the same time. And I think Adam's in the catbird seat there, but, but I think the, 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 the nature of the partnerships really matter at the end of the day, and I think it, you'll see, um, you, you won't see a one-size-fits-all strategy. Do we have some questions? I have many more questions, but I wanna get one over here. Hi there, Nathan Pillai from Kairos. We're, in, uh, we're investing in the future of how culture is gonna be consumed by tomorrow's consumers. And uh, they consume culture very differently to the generations like us in this room here today. So, Jimmy, I wanted to find out, how do you protect your business when they just do not consume live TV? They wanna, they don't, they're not interested in a passive experience. They want a gamified, immersive, community-driven experience. So how do you yeah. protect your business? Yeah, good question. So, so look, we launched the ESPN Plus uh, five-plus years ago. Uh, direct-to-consumer multi-sport offering. It's not our flagship channels, as you know, but uh, we've been massively invested in not just digital, but direct-to-consumer. On top of that, we've taken the approach that we need to be open. Uh, we can't just expect that sports fans are going to go to our owned and operated properties, meaning our .com and our app. We need to be present on social channels, on, on TikTok and on Instagram, uh, on Snap. If you look at our brand on TikTok, just as one example, we're the number three brand, not the number three sports brand, sports brand, but the number three brand on TikTok. And so we've taken the approach that we need to be treating these platforms like entertainment, not marketing. We need to be creating content and experiences that live organically and natively on those platforms. And the idea is that rising tide. You get them in, uh, or you, you introduce, you create awareness, you create affinity, and then they're ultimately gonna spend more time with your owned and operated properties, and that seems to be working. Last thing I'd say is I hear you on the interactive component, like within our app, right now it's more of a lean back experience. Uh, we all, not just ESPN, we all need to get to a place where you're watching a game within, within the ESPN app, uh, and you can tap on a player, you tap on Daniel Jones, and you can see his stats right there. I know Amazon has, has made this a priority. Um, the watch and buy experience, the watch and bet experience, all those things are on our radar, and we're looking at it, but I'm, I'm with you there in terms of 
interactivity as a priority. Before we go to our next question, I want to take this question to you, Jessica, because you have the opportunity to integrate these things at a much earlier point in the, the life cycle of your league. How do you see these issues such as interactivity and that accessibility of really high-tech data, but also gambling? Yeah, everything we do is really focused on the future fan, and we can be innovative and nimble in the way we think about growth because we're a challenger property, and it is built into the ethos of everything we're doing. And in conversations with potential partners, whether they're brand partners or media partners, everything we do is talk about testing and learning within our league because we feel like we can be innovative, because we feel like our athletes are so accessible and willing to try new things because we don't have a hundred year history where anyone internally is saying, well, we don't do it that way. That's not the way it's done here. And interested in having conversations with all kinds of folks. And I'll actually give a shout out to Rich Kleiman as well, like REA did, um, because on behalf of boardroom and everything they're doing, and he's actually an investor in one of our teams in Gotham, and he has come to our clubs and to the league with lots of ideas that we're thinking about in terms of how to engage fans in different and new ways, and I agree with what Jimmy said. All of us have to work together to figure out how to reach this new demo that is our future fan. Some of us have children that age, and we watch the way they consume content, and it is different. They won't sit on a couch and just passively consume content the way that I might or even people slightly younger than me might. And so it's forcing us to innovate, which I think is a good thing for our product. Amazing. We have time for maybe one more question on the side of the room. One over here. Hi there. I was wondering if you follow companies like Close Up 360, which does NBA content, or Players TV, which is owned and ran by a number of NBA players and whether you and other leagues as well, but whether you see those as emblematic of where the industry is going and whether you see them as competitors or partners or how you think about those businesses or those like them. I'm Who's sure that? we have someone at LionTree that does that, actually. <laughs> but I would defer. Yeah, I don't know some of those, but I think, um, I think I don't consider those kind of things competing. I think you should take inspiration. There's so much innovation happening, and smaller companies lots of times are better <laughs> at taking risk and innovating, and so... Um, and that furthers the ball for everyone. So, you know, I'm all for it. If we don't have one more question from an audience, I'd love to squeeze in one about sports betting if we have a chance. Do we have one more? I'm going to squeeze it in. Hi, Steve Adler from Fan Controlled Sports. Um, we built, built a platform that enables fans to control live sporting events and engage in ways that fans have never engaged before. Curious how both Amazon and ESPN are looking and driving deeper fan engagement with live events. I think it's kind of what Jimmy said. I think, you know, the number of, there's no shortage of ideas, the number of experiments we have going on in process right now. Um, and we do this with alternative feeds as well. We have something called Prime Vision on Thursday Night Football, which um, has stats and tracking and live route trees. And, and if you like to gamble, going back to gambling, there's some useful information there. Um, but essentially, the key is it'd be easy just to throw a bunch of things on screen. Um, the hard part is getting it right from the consumer standpoint and the fan experience. And part of that is around optionality, so different fans can choose the right experience because in a, in a digital world, you can give that, that experience versus a linear world where it's a little harder to do that. I don't know, Jimmy or... I would just reiterate what I, what I said earlier. By the way, fan participation is, is very interesting to us. Um, and congratulations on the progress that you've made there. From our perspective, at this moment of time, it's more about that interactive experience within our digital properties that we're focused on. And just to 
add that little question on sports betting. I know we're out of time, but yeah. how important do you see that being in, in terms of fan engagement? Yeah, look, it's, it's definitely a, a, a growth business from our perspective. And we, we've been in this space for quite some time from a news and information and odds perspective. We have link out deals with a couple of partners, but we do believe that there's a, a, a financial growth opportunity there, there for us, and we, we plan on uh, continuing to expand our, our, our participation in the space. Jessica, how essential is it for women's soccer? Well, I think we know, um, and actually, I think uh, FanDuel has released some data around women and women enjoying betting as a vehicle to engage in fandom. And so we're interested in exploring that further on the long list of many growth opportunities that we have in front of us. Um, and excited to explore it because I think it's just one of the vehicles that we think about when we think about interactivity with our fans and providing fans with an opportunity to engage actively in our sport. Well, certainly in this very fragmented media landscape, increasingly fragmented sports landscape, it seems like all these digital tools and that direct relationship with fans is more important than ever. We are out of time. I could continue interviewing the four of you forever. I really appreciate you all being here. Thank you, Julia. Thank you, Julia. That was CNBC's Julia Borston, ESPN chairman Jimmy Pitaro, Amazon's global head of sports Jay Marine, National Women's Soccer League commissioner Jessica Berman, and Lion Tree CEO Aryeh Borkov at CNBC and Boardroom's Game Plan Sports Business Summit. The keynote is produced by the CNBC events team. If you enjoyed this conversation, please share with your friends. You can visit CNBCEvents.com to learn about upcoming events and how you can join us. I'm Tyler Matheson. Thanks for listening. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.